message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. This morning, we're continuing our new series in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be starting in the beginning of chapter 13. Now, by way of context, the first half of Luke, um, Luke covers the the birth story of Christ, and also the, the ministry of Christ that's focused around the region of Galilee and northern Israel. And then our passage takes place actually in Jesus's journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem before he's crucified. And while he's making this journey with his disciples, he, um, he stops at various villages and, and teaches. And um, scholars have kind of dubbed some of these these talks, these lessons that Jesus gives during this period as the warning teaches, that the warning te- teachings. Um, Jesus gives a series of warnings. In this section, we have a warning against the fear of man over God. We have a warning against putting your trust in material possessions. And like we heard last week, there's a warning about the anxiousness of our heart and what it means to be anxious. This morning, Jesus gives a warning about our need for repentance. So please um, follow along as I read from Luke 13, 1 through 5. You can find the passage printed in your bulletin. And before we read, um, kids, this morning, please be on the lookout for a story about how of repentance and taking risks. And also listen for the three C's of repentance. So now let's read from Luke 13, 1 through 15. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all those who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord stands forever. What do you do when disaster happens? For most of us, the day after a, tra- a tragedy, we all, we ask the question of why? Why did this happen? Who is to blame for what just happened? Did the victims do something to deserve this outcome? People ask similar questions in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. After the huge storm hit the city of New Orleans, many Christians we're asking, was this some sort of judgment on the city of New Orleans for the Mardi Gras culture and the gambling culture? Or on September 12th, 2001, the day after the 9-11 attacks, everyone in America was asking why. We wanted to know why such a horrific event occurred. The disasters change, but the question remains the same. Sometimes evil and tragic events of this world are done at the hand of someone else. We see evil done at the hands of the world's militaries. 
We see acts of violence in the streets of our city. And other times we have tragic events that have natural causes. We have earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes. But whatever the cause, the question is always, why? Why did something like this happen? In our passage this morning, Jesus focuses on another question that we should be asking in the face of evil and tragic events. Jesus hints at that we should ask, do I have a right relationship with God? Jesus calls us to think about repentance in that moment. And repentance is not something we just love to do. Why? Well, because it means we have to look at our, the ugliness and failures of our own hearts. We have to take time to acknowledge that we're not perfect. We have to take time to acknowledge that the good image that we try so hard to put out there for others to see isn't actually what the reality of our lives is. Living a life of repentance means that we have to not only look at the mess of our lives, but we have to tackle it head on and do something about it. As we work through our passage this morning, we will look at at three things. We will briefly look at what is repentance, Why do we need to repent? And lastly, we'll look at how do we live a life of repentance? So what is repentance? Repentance is one of the primary characteristics of the Christian life. Many people outside the church view the Christian life as about being perfect. It's about perfection. But that's not the case. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to hang out with a small group of men, and one of the men present was a ruling elder um, in our denomination at another church. And over the course of our conversation, he, he said, the Christian life is less about holiness and more about repentance. Repentance is a word that gets thrown around a lot within the church and with, and without. And we often view repentance as being synonymous with just saying, I'm sorry when we do something wrong. And that's definitely an aspect of repentance. We have to acknowledge that there's something wrong in order to repent. But one theologian defines repentance as a change of one's mind, not just in switching of minor opinions, but the direction of one's life. It's a radical turning from sin to Christ. So why is Jesus calling us to repent? When when tragedy strikes, well, let's turn to our passage and unpack what Jesus is saying. Jesus responds to these two tragic events by asking a question and then giving the answer. And both points to why we need repentance. In verse 1 and 4, we're told what the two tragic events are. We don't know much about these events. They actually only occur and only are recorded in the Gospel of Luke. There are no other um, sources that give us detailed information than beyond this passage. But we have the fact that there's a group of Galileans who were murdered while they were offering their sacrifices in the temple by the hands of um, the Roman governor, Pilate. And then in verse 4, Jesus mentions that there was a, a tower in the city of Jerusalem that fell and killed 18 people. The question he poses is the same just as the answer. He asked the crowd, do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners 
because they died in this way? Or do you think that the people who were killed by the tower were worse offenders than all the others that lived in Jerusalem because this happened to them? It's interesting that Jesus' question doesn't deny the fact that the people who died were sinners. The Galileans were in the temple making sacrifices because they knew that they had sinned. But Jesus is getting at the fact that they're not any worse than anybody else. He's focusing on the fact that these victims are like all of us, just as sinful. So why should we repent? Because we're as sinful as everybody else. Jesus puts it out there right right in front of us. We're no better than them. During this time, it was actually a common practice, a common way of thinking that when disaster strikes like this, when bad things happen, it's because that you must have been a really bad sinner. And we get this insight throughout various places in the Bible, but this is the advice that Job's friends give him. Bad things are happening. Well, you must have done something wrong. That was a common way of viewing the world. Jesus's own disciples, when they come across the blind man, ask Jesus, hey, who sinned? This man or his parents? They, they viewed the world as though tragedy happens because someone must be extra bad. But Jesus is saying, we need to look at our own sin. We need to look at our own hearts in these moments. We don't like to look at our own failures. It makes us uncomfortable to examine the failings of our hearts. Intellectually, we all know that, yeah, we, we're not perfect. We know that. But we don't like to spend time digging in and examining just how imperfect we are. A few weeks ago, I read a quote from someone I called a culture prophet. And this morning, I'm going to read another one of their quotes. In 2022, a couple years ago, um, Taylor Swift, y'all might have heard of her, um, she released a song that spent six weeks in the number one spot on the Billboard charts. And the chorus of the song goes like this. It says, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everyone agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. Taylor Swift makes some very wise points. It's, it, there's wisdom in recognizing that I'm the problem. We have to find the, the, the brokenness in our own hearts. But I love the fact that she goes on and says, I'll stare directly at the sun, but, not, but never in the mirror. Is that not just how we are? We'll look anywhere else, but in our own hearts. We'll look around and we'll look at all other people's sins, but don't ask us to look at our own sin, which is exactly what Jesus is asking us to do, which is why we are called to repent. The second reason Jesus points out of our need to repent is because our days are numbered. In verse three and five, Jesus answers the two questions in the exact same way. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It is important to take note of the phrase, will all likewise perish. Jesus is not saying, if you don't repent, someone's going to come and murder you or a building is going to fall on you. 
He's not, that's not what the likewise is referring to. Jesus is using an earthly example that's happened in their, in their current time to point to a deeper spiritual reality. The crowd thought that these things happened because they were acts of judgment of God for sin. And Jesus is reminding us that we will all stand before God in judgment. The phrase in verse three and five, that says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish is pointing to the fact that we will all someday die. And when we die, we will be judged. And so we're called to repent. And the harsh reality is that no one knows when their time will, will be to stand before the Lord. The Galileans were not going into worship to offer their sacrifices expecting to be killed. But that's, that was the time that they had. The people who were walking under the tower were not expecting, oh, this, is, this tower is going to fall. The reality is we don't know. So Jesus is saying, repent now because you don't know when the time is coming. Jesus is calling us to repent. He's calling us to realize the sinfulness of our own hearts. And he's calling us to realize that we will all stand before God in judgment. So that's why we're called to repent. Because we're not perfect. And we don't know when we're going to be judged. But what does a life of repentance look like? How do we live a life of repentance? What does that look like in our day-to-day life? Well, it takes work. It doesn't come natural to us. Repentance fights against our natural inclination to hide our faults rather than to expose them. It is something that we must, by the power of the Holy Spirit, work for. And repentance is also a choice. A few weeks ago, Elisa and I started watching a TV show called Ted Lasso. Um, And there's an episode towards the end of the first season called Apologies. And I'm sorry if I'm giving any spoilers away, but the show's been out for several years now, so it's one of those sorry but not sorry kind of things. Um, Rebecca, the owner of the fictional English Premier League football team, um, has hired Ted Lasso um, to come be the next coach. And he knows absolutely nothing about English football. He was actually an American football coach. um, And he comes over And unknown to him, her plan is I'm going to let this guy ruin the club and destroy it. She brings him over and she wants him to fail. And so she secretly sabotages his efforts. But as the season goes on and she gets to know him, she has a change of heart. And she goes, oh, there's something about this guy. I can't do this to this guy. And she is encouraged to come clean and confess to what she's been doing and how she's been undermining him all season. And she's faced with a choice. I can repent. I can own up to my failings. I can own up to the things that I have done. Or, I can keep, or she can keep her actions hidden. And as she begins to think about coming clean, her mind is filled with fear and anxiety and worry about what's going to happen if I admit my failings. And because now that she has had a change of heart and got to know Ted, there's also this feeling of, I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to admit my failings because it might cause him pain. And the moment comes where she's standing in the office and through tear-filled eyes, 
she confesses. And she goes on to explain how horrible she has been. She traded players behind his back and blamed him for it. She does all these things and there's silence. And then Ted speaks and he says, I forgive you. Now she did not know how he was going to respond. She did not go into this really knowing if he was going to accept that and forgive her. But she chose to do the right thing, to own up to her mistakes, to go against her inclination to hide, but come clean. And that takes risk. There's a risk with repentance, but we have a choice to make. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines um, repentance as the fact that a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. This definition, according to one commentary, can be broken up into three elements or the three C's of repentance, and that's confession, contrition, and change. Living a life of repentance is about confession, contrition, and change. Confession is the intellectual part where we acknowledge, yes, I have done wrong. I have sinned. And that's where our culture generally stops. It's like repentance is like saying, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I'm sorry I've done something wrong. But then we have contrition. And this is the emotional aspect of repentance, that our hearts are actually grieved by the ugliness of our sin. I'm sure many of you have had experience, those of you who have kids, my two and a half year old is just, we're just getting to the point now where we're getting to, when she does something wrong and we ask her to say sorry, she just responds with sorry. You know, that flat, just, no. That does not show grief or hatred of sin. They're just sorry they got caught. That's not true repentance like the confession is talking about where we're grieved by what we've done and we hate how, we've be, how we behave. And then lastly, change. Repentance is not a one-time act, but it's a lifelong attitude of, I'm changing how I'm going to live from here on out. It's the, it's the volition aspect of repentance, a resolve to change our patterns and to follow Christ. And living a life of repentance takes all three of these. So my question for us is, have you repented in this way? Does your repentance go through all of these aspects or do we, like the culture, just stop at one? I can't tell you how many times my wife has asked me to to stop doing a, a certain behavior around the house, stop leaving dishes out, stop doing this. And I go, yeah, sorry. And then next day, those dishes are right back out on the counter. I'm not taking the trash out. I'm not doing those things. That's not, that's not true repentance. True repentance is, man, I, I, I'm really hating the fact that I'm doing this that upsets you, honey. I really hate the fact that I, I'm, I'm living a way that you don't like. And repentance means I'm going to actually change it. 
I'm not just going to write it off and say, yeah, I'll take care of that. Yeah, I'll change. But repentance is all three of them moving forward. And it's not too late. It's never too late to start living a life of repentance, whether you're a six-year-old here or an 80-year-old. It's never too late to live a life of repentance. The time is now. You can ask God to open our hearts, to examine ourselves, to examine our sin. I have to ask God daily to let me see the, let me feel the grief over my sin. Sadly, I have no problem sometimes seeing the sin in my life, but I'm not necessarily bothered by it the way I should be. We ask God to help us. We ask God to create change in our lives. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to learn from you. We thank you that you are a God where we can come to you in repentance with full assurance that you offer forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would instill in all of us patterns of the life of repentance, where we not only see our sin, but we are broken by it. We are aggrieved by it because it goes against you and your holiness. We pray that you instill change in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.